Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. We're disappointed, you know, everybody's sharing this appointment right now, you know what I mean? Nobody's, uh, nobody's immune to that, but, uh, you know, I think the good news is here is, like, there's nothing structurally wrong here uh, as far as the rotator cuff or anything like that's concerned. We are dealing with a bone issue, and when you're dealing with bone, they calcify. And so, you know, the healing characteristics will take care of themselves. So I think that's a positive that we walk away with. If it's so, Billy, this is a guy who missed the entire second half of last year. He had some injury things pop up in 2020. How concerned are you just about the long-term durability of him? Well, we're going to do everything we can to support him in every which way we can. Um, and so uh, Jake's a resilient person. And so, uh, you, know, with, uh, you know, with time, things heal, right? Um, and so this is, uh, you, know, another, you know, another situation where some time we'll, we'll have him healed We'll get him back on the hill. Is it your understanding that this has kind of built up over time, or did it happen in one weird throw or one weird? No, it's kind of more connected. I mean, everything's kind of kinematically connected, so this is something that's just you know over time. Just through the timeline of what you're feeling in your hamstring when it started, and, and what you're feeling now. Uh, yeah, um, this came from running. Uh, you know, I noticed something uh, a couple days ago um, from running. Uh, my hamstring just tightened up and didn't didn't feel like I strained or anything like that. Uh, had good recovery the past two days. Um, went to Q, uh, just go through my normal routine uh, this morning. 
to go for it, to go, uh, you know, make a start today, and hamstring just tighten up. Uh, play catch anyway. You know, um, fortunate enough, this doesn't uh, like really affect when I throw, so I'm able to get into my throwing mechanics. Um, but I, you know, when it was time to go to the mound, I could just feel that you know my hamstring was tight. Uh, and at that point in time, I, you know, that's when. When your hamstring side, you can't go for it in a sim game, 1030 morning spring training. So uh, at that point in time, it's just, you know, shut it down and get treatment. What, when do you think you'll pitch? Don't know. Uh, you know, I've had a, kind of these little, um, you know, hamstring, uh, you know, injuries before. Um, and they go away in days. Um, you know, I haven't had, fortunately enough, I've, I've been pretty good to not, uh, have serious hamstring injuries. I've just had little hiccups, and uh, I think this is the same thing. I think it gets a little hiccup. Um, just got to address it. Uh, so I'm working with the train staff to uh, you know, identify, you know, what's ca what, what's causing it, um, because it's frustrating. Because I've, I've really worked hard this off season to really lift my legs heavy, you know, do all the running. You know, I felt like I was in a really good spot uh, with my body um, and my arm, and it's frustrating to have my arm be at this point and you know have a little hiccup in my leg. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here. On this Sunday, April the 3rd, 2022, of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks over at the fan-sided podcasting network and over at risingapple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. And normally, as you head towards the last week of spring training, this is one of the tougher shows to do because unless you're really in some intense debate about the 25-man roster and a position the Mets are in where you're talking about 25, 26, 27, 28, and, and because of the expanded rosters, 29, 30, I mean, come on, are you going to do a whole show on that? You usually start gearing up towards a season preview, and then you have like that dull, dead period because you just got to watch games. I mean, what could you talk about here as you get into the first week of April? Of course, April Fool's Day comes around, and no, there was no joke. Both number one and 1A, the Mets Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer come down with injuries. There's a trade, a no trade, a trade on Saturday. And, uh, you know, how good is this team now as you uh, look at what's in front of them? So a show that's chock full of stuff that we could talk about. Very rare for this time of the year. But, of course, this is not your normal last week of spring training. Usually by now we're into the first week of the regular season here on April 3rd. And here we are st still in Port St. Lucie. Mets will be wrapping up spring training in just a couple of days and then heading to Washington, D.C. to start the season and what have you. So where do I start? I've said this a ton of times, and I'll say it again. The Mets have this tremendous yoke around their neck. And yes, I spelt it wrong on Twitter. I know it's not an egg yolk. I know that. It's a yoke, okay? You know, sometimes when you 
type quick on Twitter, things happen. And I've said nothing's going to be easy about this team moving away from all the disappointments, all the failures, all the fits and starts, the whole 86 yoke that's hanging around their neck the last time they won a championship. Even though they've had those pennants, it seems like those pennants exacerbate this heavyweight and you've brought in many different regimes and different managers, and you've hoped that it's something that could be changed, whether it be the Omar Manaya Mets or the Bobby V Mets or you know the generation, uh, not the Generation K, but the young pitchers and Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson and Moneyball with money that never materialized. And now after a couple of young first-time managers, you have a a veteran, potentially Hall of Fame manager in Buck Showalter that's coming in with an owner, the richest owner maybe in in all of sports, but up there for sure, with his money. And you think, well, things are going to be easier now. And no matter what happens, no matter how many games a team wins, how many championships they win, it's never easy. Even go back and talk to friends who are Yankee fans from the 90s. Every one of those seasons, even 98, you had your pressure moments. I mean, the Yankees were uh, very much in 98 at a point where they could have lost to Cleveland after all those wins and what have you. So there's always that idea that winning is easier when it's on the other side. The grass is always greener. Obviously, that's not going to be the case here. So you hear the news. Jacob deGrom is going to be out two months, at least a month of rest with a, a stress fracture and a scapula bone injury. The Scherzer thing with the hamstring is kind of insult to injury. It's kind of a situation where you almost feel like you're being tested here early on for your medal. And inevitably, I think with camps being short, injuries were going to happen. So I'm, I'm not completely surprised here. But certainly when you built the foundation of your team on two 30-something pitchers, that was the risk. And there's a lot to this DeGrom part. I'll put the Scherzer to the side because I don't think Scherzer, it sounds like this is something that he's had before. It's a hamstring, and they could be tricky, and they can, believe me, I've just had my own hamstring issues. I know how tricky they could be, and I'm not an athlete. So, you know, that that will put aside. We'll assume that maybe he gets pushed back a little bit and doesn't start opening day. No big deal. The DeGrom injury is the one that I think is multifaceted. It's about... On the field, DeGrom himself. And then I also think it's about the culture and the fabric of the team. Now, I'll start off by saying this. If you're coming here looking for laugh-out-loud Mets or, oh, geez, it's happening already and nothing ever goes right in a pity party, turn it off and go away. Anybody who listens for any length of time and and knows what this program is about knows that that's not what we do here. You want to do that comedy act, you got plenty of places you can go. On a national level, on a local level, podcast-wise, traditional-wise, you could do that. So that's that's not going to happen here. This is part of a team's journey, a team's season to try to win something. Injuries happen. And it's going to happen in a shortened spring training. And what a situation with the lockout brought about, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen just with the Mets. It's going to happen across the league. Our good friend over at Ball 9, Kevin Kernan, actually wrote about it earlier today over there. Check it out. But... One of the biggest concerns, not about DeGrom, has nothing to do with the medical staff. This is just a wear and tear issue. Stop with the Mets medical staff. You can't you can't stop a stress fracture from happening. And players ultimately are responsible for their own bodies and their own biology makes up what happens with them. There's no miracle science here. Despite what people think, there's no miracle science. 
There's no uh, uh, voodoo. There's no grand doctor the Mets could hire, even with Steve Cohen's money, to stop this stuff from happening. This is what happens when you do an unnatural act of throwing a baseball. What really concerns me about this DeGrom thing, because I think he'll be back, but obviously the kind of pitcher you're dealing with, which I think is a pitcher that you need to have the right amount of starts at the right time. Think of like how Rich Hill almost has been. I mean, that's where DeGrom is heading. Rich Hill, think about how effective he's been, but you always seem to get maybe a couple of months where he doesn't pitch or he he could give you 20 to 25 starts. Now, I'm not saying they're the same pitcher. DeGrom is way better than Rich Hill, though Rich Hill's a pretty darn good pitcher. But that kind of modified, even at this point in time, Clayton Kershaw, who is probably a better example, how you're not going to get 30, 32, 33, 34 starts. Now, you would think because of DeGrom and the less stress and the innings from the fact that he wasn't a pitcher coming out of college, wouldn't be here. But maybe at least now in 2022, that's where you're at with Jacob DeGrom, that you need to get the right 15, 20 starts and healthy for the postseason. So from a player standpoint, I think that's where we're at. We have to accept that right now, this moment, April 3rd, it's the case that it's, it's where it needs to be. And you could cry about it. Oh, Mets luck. That's who he is right now until further notice. Cause he's been like that. Now we're going on season two and really he's been like that. Cause even though he was, he, he was shut down in July last year, there was all these hold your breath moments throughout the whole entire first half when it was either a swing, it was impacted a sore here an MRI there. I mean, let me tell you, whoever's taking the MRI is making big coin on Jacob DeGrom. It's a big boon. They're like, hey, bring them on in. Bring them on in. That's that's the profit center that you might want to be part of. Where all this is, where, where I'm going on this is that there comes a point when a player is so important to the fabric of the team, and maybe more so in the sense where it's lionized by the media, by the fans, that they own, but but their absence or their lack of performance paralyzes that team. And it's dangerous to the entire endgame here. And I think that's where you are with Jacob DeGrom. And we've seen this before, most recently with Yoannis Cespedes. Think back to Cespedes, how important he was to the offense, how important he was after he came over in 2015 and had that great 2016 where he was a big part of why that team even sniffed the playoffs because that was not a good offensive team. And when he went down after 2016 and he would have these half a season, you didn't know what was wrong with his legs, and turned out not only did he have a serious Achilles issue, then he gets run over by a wild animal. Uh, it was always like you would you would read things about, well, when the, when Cespedes is in the lineup, the Mets play 650 baseball. When he's out, they play 450 baseball. So they, they, they would sit around and figure out, how can we survive until the Cespedes gets back? And to a lesser degree, you saw that with David Wright. When David Wright went down, not as much. Pedro Martinez, back during the Omar Minaya era, you know, you waited all 07. Oh, when Pedro comes back, there's that reinforcement. Well, Pedro wasn't all that good anymore at that point because he had a serious shoulder injury. We know a lot more about injuries now than we did 15 years ago. If we had had the, the knowledge we have today, we would know Pedro Martinez when he tore his rotator cuff probably was never going to be the same and should have never been relied upon. I think you're at that point with DeGrom. And I'm not saying that DeGrom's, you, you, you move on and forget about DeGrom. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, yes, the foundation of Scherzer de Grom is how this team is going to get into the tournament and win a championship. I do not believe that having them for 60 starts was necessary for them to make the playoffs. Now, to go and, and maybe win 100 games and have an historic season, sure. 
with the extra wild card teams, and and there's an advantage of having the best record in the in the league uh, with the, the buys and the positioning and everything, but you cannot sacrifice the reality where two thirty something pitchers risks that we have pointed out on this program need they need to be managed they need to be managed in a way that if Degrom is going to give you fifteen regular season starts this year twenty max it needs to be in the back half we can't have him shut down July seventh and up we'll see you next year. Can't have it because that's not the right 15 stars, 20 stars. You can't push Max Scherzer because you want to see him on opening day and feel good. And then he tears his hamstring and he's out three months like Carlos Carrasco was and has his whole season compromised. Can't have that. You've got to manage them. And then that means there has to be depth that comes with that, which the Mets have a little bit of, and I think better depth than they had last year. But as you saw, and we'll talk about that later with the proposed trade with San Diego, they're looking for more and they probably need more. But it's critically important that we get this out here now. You cannot let the DeGrom health saga hijack this season. You have to put him aside and say, right now, he's not part of the equation. He's out to at least Memorial Day, maybe longer. There's a scenario where I see where DeGrom doesn't really pitch till the All-Star break. I'm telling you that right now. And if you told me right now, sign up for a healthy DeGrom from All-Star break through the postseason— but you're not going to get a single inning out of him until July, I would sign up for that now. And so should you. And you should move on right now because if your whole thing is, well, if they just hang in there till DeGrom gets back, no. Buck Walter has said it, and you'll hear a clip later as we move forward. Play better. That's what you have to do because you're going to get caught into the same cycle that, to a, that you did during the Cespedes years. And that to a certain degree last year, as they were hanging on post-July 7th, well, just hang on to that division. Get into that division lead. Stave off the Phillies. Stave off the Braves. He'll be back for the postseason. Bad mindset. We got into it here on this show, and we're not going to do it again. I cannot do another year of shows where every week you're holding your breath, waiting for an MRI to come back to hope that this guy is on the mound. Whatever the issue is, is his body breaking down? Is his workout regime? Is it the fact that he's had such great luck for the amount of torque and velocity that he's put on his body? Whatever that is, that's for him to figure out. It's his career. He's got a lot of money at stake. Yeah, he can still opt in and make about $60 million and such. Sounds like a lot of it's deferred, which you know may make, mean the, the, lockout, uh, the, the opt-out's fait accompli, but that's another story for another day. On a positive note, Brandon McCarthy former big league pitcher who had this injury five times in his career says no big deal. It's not a rotator cuff. It's not Tommy John. I mean, anything with shoulder you got to take seriously and be worried about. But the real thing here is if, and I don't believe it's season ending, figure out how to get the most amount of starts and those starts happen in the back half of the year. Because once you get him back on the mound, I think it's, very unhealthy for the team to have him in, out, in, out. I think you got to let him go right now and say, we'll see you when we see you. And we'll try to win with what we have. Now, you're with if Scherzer's healthy, you can absorb this a lot longer than you would have been able to absorb it without Scherzer. And maybe DeGrom could learn a little bit because Scherzer's a guy that's had tons of nicks over the years. I mean, even as recently as the 2019 championship run for the Nationals, he was out, I think, with uh, uh, you know some kind of back shoulder 
soreness or stuff like that. So he's always had – that was why I was like, you know, give a guy $40-something million. Look, it's only money, but if it hamstrings you from making other moves, then it's a problem. But it's very important, and you have to do this right now. The, the More important for the team, because the team can't sit around and emotionally collect it and say, well, if he's not here, we're not good enough. Yes, you are. You got enough here to still win and be in the muck. And as I said, before they expanded the playoffs, you could mess around with this game for the first 80 games of the season. I'm not saying you fall 10, 15 games below 500, but you could hover. Look what the Braves did. You could hover about 500, maybe slightly above, slightly below, and still be in it and still make the postseason. You don't want to be in that space, but you can. You need 60 good days, as the Mets proved, and 15 and 16 to get this done. Now, that's not a good foundational strategy. You want to build and build and build and be playing your best baseball and have some kind of arc that goes up. But if it's necessary because of health or because of certain situations to play in that little swamp, you can. And it's better to do that than to sit around and wait for a guy who obviously has to figure out his body. And there's no doctor. There's no voodoo. There's no money. There's nothing. You know, you want to go on Twitter and cry, oh, here it goes. Oh, the Mets, they can't catch a break. Everybody's going through this. Look at the Dodgers with Kershaw. Everybody's going through this. Dodgers got Kershaw, who's a ticking time bomb health-wise. They got Bauer, who they're paying all this money to, that's stuck in some kind of MLB bureaucracy. Everybody goes through this. So I don't want to hear that. But I think the main point with DeGrom is we have no idea what's going on with his body. Uh, We do know it's a serious injury. There is a lot of information that says you can come back and pitch through it, and it's a bone like you heard Billy Epler said on the way in. It's not a ligament. It's not a rotator cuff. It's not something surgically that needs to be repaired. But his body's telling him, hey, dude, you need to fix something. And whether that's lifting less weights, whether that's dialing back from full torque velocity, um, figuring out who he is. And I'll leave you with this before we take a break. This even goes back further where – He's going to have to figure out, because maybe this will affect, affect the numbers. You guys are going to want to see DeGrom, who is dominant with the 1.08 ERA. But the health and the physicality that requires that may not be uh, realistic. So are you willing to take the DeGrom, who pitches to a 2.50 ERA, and could dial it in and be dominant when it counts, like in a postseason series? And can you handle that? Because the baseball reference page will bother you too. Well, he's not the same player. Well, he's maybe he was insanely too good because this isn't a video game. This is real life. So the real, the real story here with DeGrom is he cannot hijack the fabric of this team. Because if they allow that to happen and everything about the 2022 season is about him being on the field, well, you're off to a bad start on that already. And you may not see him until you're cooking out on your barbecue on the 4th of July. That's still a long ways away. Not as long as you think. The season goes by in a flash, but it's a long ways away. And you can't spend the first 90 to 100 days of the season sitting around waiting for somebody while the house is burning around you. You got to go out there and win. As Buck Showalter says, play better. Nobody wants to hear it. And nobody in the National League or the American League or the entire sport feels bad for them, especially with this owner who they have, who they feel is a lot of owners feel is destroying the economic framework of the game. So that's what I have. That's what my uh, deal is with DeGrom. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, the Mets had a deal on the table that 
I have never in my born days seen such controversy, deal, non-deal throughout the whole Saturday, made for great social media back and forth, put a lot of spice into what would have been a very sleepy spring training day. But I think there's so much out of whack with what the media and the fans and the whole conversation around this trade was. I think there's a few things that we have to talk about. I think there's a lack of understanding where the Mets are now as a team, what they were trying to accomplish, and also how good Dom Smith, who is the center of all this, really is. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Well, how was your Saturday? Uh, The Mets were busy. They woke up in the morning uh, thinking that they might have a deal with the San Diego Padres that would have been a blockbuster. This is the framework. Dom Smith to the Padres, Chris Paddock to the Mets, reliever Emilio Pagan to the Mets, and Eric Hosmer to the Mets, and $25, $30 million from the Padres to the Mets. Then the Mets are going to take Hosmer and move him elsewhere. He was never going to play for the Mets. So a lot of moving parts, a lot going on, and it ultimately around dinner time fell apart. What happened in between uh, was interesting and told us a few things about where the Mets are at, what they need, and what they're willing to do going forward. Uh, They feel that given the injuries to Jacob deGrom and now Max Scherzer with his hamstring, they need pitching depth. They had Paddock as a number four or five starter somewhere between Tyler McGill and David Peterson. So he was depth. Uh, But pitching is difficult to come by. So even for a guy that's a back-end starter, uh, if he was available in a trade for a guy in Smith who the Padres wanted, that was something that the Mets were willing to entertain. There was a lot of internal discussion through the day if it was a good deal for them, if they were getting enough. Uh, Some other parties here wanted it to happen. I heard the Padres wanted it to happen. I heard Dom Smith wanted it to happen, and I want to be very clear about this. This is nothing against Smith at all, who has been nothing but a good teammate and a good Met, and I think is going to have a good year. Uh, But he, very understandably, as somebody who's been playing baseball his whole life, wants to play baseball every day. So uh, what I understood reliably was that he uh, wanted to play every day for a team more than he wanted to platoon or be on the bench for the Mets. So that is something now... Uh, that Buck Showalter is the manager is going to earn his money and have to deal with Smith and, and work with that situation going forward. It won't be the first time Showalter has had to deal with this situation like that. The Mets still think that they could use pitching depth. They're still in conversations with other clubs, although as of Saturday evening, nothing was imminent. Billy Epler is an active GM. We now know what he wants. We now know who in the right circumstance he's willing to move. And it's uh, full steam ahead to the rest of the weekend and into opening week. Never a dull moment for the Mets, but it's always fun and entertaining, for me at least. All right, we're back. And I think Andy Martino of SNY summarized the Saturday morning or Friday evening into Saturday late afternoon timeline of the Mets' near deal. So let's lay it out there. And I'm going to give you my take because obviously there's ups and downs with that deal. And I think it's a deal that might be the best deal that you get offered for Dom Smith. And I'll tell you why. First, it was Dom Smith. And that seems to be all the Mets were giving up. And the Padres were giving back to the Mets about $25 million to offset Eric Hosmer's salary. Uh, Emilio Pagan, a useful left-handed reliever who's had some rough numbers with the Padres, but still good peripherals and was the closer in Tampa Bay a couple of years ago and, and actually did quite well. 
And Chris Paddock, a pitcher that you may remember, had that little back and forth when he had that big April in 2019 with Pete Alonzo and said, I should have been Rookie of the Month. Pete was Rookie of the Month and, and, and what have you. So a guy with, you know, former Mar- Marlins prospect, Padres had him, guy with some real potential but has yet to harness it with his repertoire. So it was a deal where the Mets would get those three guys. They would then flip Hosmer. I'm not sure how they would, uh, how quickly they could do that. And not, or what they would get because it was really just flipping Hosmer to get a salary off the books. And maybe they could get some kind of useful component piece, a lefty reliever, a bullpen piece, whatever, and move on. And that did happen. And, and it did, could have not happened. I think it didn't happen because the Mets couldn't find a home for Hosmer because he doesn't fit the roster. Just like in a lot of ways, Dom Smith and what he profiles as doesn't fit the roster. I agree with the Mets where a backup outfielder or a guy who could do some different things like Travis Janikowski, Jankowski, not Janikowski, Travis Jankowski could could be more of a fit. You certainly don't dump Dom Smith for a 4A type backup outfielder, but clearly if you have value and you could trade him, uh, you try to because uh, you have other versions and better versions of Dom Smith on the roster. Now, before I get to Dom Smith and the hysteria over trading, what seemed to be they were trading Stan usual at some point. And that's really Twitter. Uh, I don't listen to WFAN anymore. And I think the the balance fan knows that what Dom Smith is and what he isn't. But let me start by saying this. The Mets need more starting pitching. Even with Chris Bassett, even if DeGrom comes back whenever, if you think the rest of that rotation, especially Walker and Carrasco, especially Carrasco, are going to make all their starts the rest of the year, well, Walker, I feel like, could. But Carrasco, I'm not sold on. Uh, you're killing, you're kidding yourself. And God forbid McGill or Peterson have hiccups in their development or there's more injuries. You know what your depth looks like right now? So you've got your starting five with DeGrom. You're already eating into that because DeGrom's out. So McGill's going to slide in, let's say, for argument's sake. That's what I would do for DeGrom. I don't have a problem with that. Then you got Peterson, who would might have to slide in for Scherzer. That's a huge downgrade. We still don't know what Peterson is. We like some things about him. We don't like other things about him. He's probably profiling as a back end of the rotation guy, 4-5. So now you go from best rotation maybe in baseball, 1-1A, to interesting mid-rotation pitcher in McGill, Bassett, who has probably mid-rotation but could pitch you like a number two, and then a lot of fours and fives which would a good offense, and we'll get to that before the show is out because I think the offense, I might be underrating the offense, and a a really good bullpen. Not sure the Mets have a really good bullpen. You could probably get away with that. Can't win a championship, but you could get away with that and hang into the playoff hunt until it goes back to what it is. You get that ace pitcher, which you're hoping is the guy you have on the roster already. You don't have to go out and give up any capital at the deadline and get him. So, but then it gets scary after that. I like Jordan Yamamoto. I think he has some potential, but he's your next line of defense. Jose Buto, who looked interesting, but totally unproven. Next guy after that. Connor Gray, independent league guy that some people have heard some good things about this spring. No idea. Felix Pena, yuck. That's going the Robert Stock route. After that, I'm looking down the roster here. You've got Mike Montgomery. Josh Walker, Jose Rodriguez, all non-roster invitees. Uh, you know, who, who Jose Rodriguez, not Josh, Jose Rodriguez. Thomas Zapucki, 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 I'm sorry. I always say his name wrong. Uh, injured. 
you know, then you're in openers. You're back to where you were last year. So you need another arm. So Paddock would have helped even, I think he had options. You could have sent him down. Even if you had a healthy DeGrom, could have shored up that rotation and had upside, has mid-rotation developmental upside. Okay, so let me just start right there with that. Let me get then to the asset of Dom Smith, this asset that everybody's waiting to blossom and has all this value. First of all, he's getting expensive. So he's got a couple of ARB years left. He's not in his first three years, so he's not cheap. Not overly expensive, but he's not cheap. So this idea that he can go to a rebuilding team, that team needs to win in the next three years or be competitive because by the time they do win, which could be three years away, he's a free agent. They're going to lose him anyway. And with all the different draft pick compensation rules changing, he's worthless to them. So they're going to want someone who's in those first year to two years of pre-arb. They don't want someone who's into arbitration. So he can enhance a deal and provide some value because they might be able to flip him in the next couple of years and get something. Uh, But he's not headlining a deal. And even if he was in his early years, there is no world, no, 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 no world where Dom Smith, uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute, can headline you getting Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas, Sean Manaya. You saw what it cost the Mets to get Bassett, who I I agree. I said might be the best of all three, but might be the best of all three when you combine performance, age, and what you had to give up. There's all arguments the other two guys are better, have more upside, longer, younger, all this stuff. We could get into that another time. You are not getting Frankie Montas or Sean Manaya for Dom Smith in that package. Francisco Alvarez headlines it, different ballgame. All of a sudden, you're clutching your pearls, right? No, that's what it is. Luis Castillo, who I've outlined on this show where I'd be careful with him, already injured this year, another guy I'd be careful with. But he ain't going for Dom Smith. Even if you take on Mustakas' contract like you were going to do for Hosmer, you're probably going to have to give up more capital. The Padres were trying to shed payroll, get a useful player, Who's, who's pretty much, in a sense, was going to fill Hosmer's role, but had a little bit more flexibility because he could play the outfield and are trying to win. The Reds don't fall into that, neither do, do the A's. Totally different. So if you think Dom Smith's getting you any of those guys, he's not. Dom Smith's getting you exactly what was offered by San Diego. You're going to, have to, you're going to be taking on salary to help relieve somebody else's financial burden and you're going to get some useful pieces. And the hope is that you could find a team where that all lines up, where you could get a useful piece that may actually be better than just useful because there's upside, and that's where Paddock was. You were getting a lefty reliever with a high strikeout rate and a low walk rate. Oh, that's something that everybody could use. Haven't you heard that here? And you were getting a starter that, yes, has struggled the last two years. Let's throw 2020 out of the window because everybody uh, could say that was a joke of a season, a joke of a time in our history. And even though he struggled last year, he's still a guy that if you look at all the scouting reports, you go to Baseball America, whatever it is, profiles the middle of the rotation, has great command, doesn't walk a lot of guys, still strikes out a batter per nine innings. Yes, he's fastball changeup pitcher, so he has to be a little bit more perfect, and he's probably a little bit more hittable, and he's probably a guy that is going to come out with that 4-5-0 ERA because he's going to be really good. But when he's off, because he's a two-pitch pitcher who hasn't really developed a third-pitch curveball, which maybe the Mets could have done, he's going to get clobbered. Kind of sounds like Bartolo Colon, who you guys all love. 
and you were giving him up for a guy that you have no position for. You already have a first baseman who's elite, an all-star. Dom has not done anything that Pete Alonso's done to date. You have three outfielders. And, oh, by the way, some of you want to sign Michael Conforto, so where the heck is Dom going to play whenever Conforto is back from this mysterious injury, shoulder injury, if he's still interested in playing this year? So And, and you really, with J.D. Davis, and I'll get to that in a minute, you might be better with J.D. Davis at DH, or you platoon the two of them, a strict platoon, and you still have Robinson Cano as a couple of years, who, by the way, could hit a little bit. And even in the pandemic season, and even the season before in the second half, hit at a level where you probably could argue he's a better hitter than Dom Smith. Certainly in a big spot with his veteran uh, experience, I might go with him over Dom Smith in a big spot against a tough pitcher. Now, everybody's falling in love with Dom Smith numbers. Well, Michael, don't you see the numbers? Don't you see he was uh, near MVP in 2020? Okay. Let me play fun with numbers here. I'm just going to do basic numbers. Okay. from 20, In the two seasons where you guys are all gaga over this guy, when he should have been traded after 2020, when his value was high. But we know Sandy Olsen came in. He had all that you know work he had to do. Everybody fell in love with him. You know, the Mets walked off the field. They 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 made a social message. Dom Smith cried after the game. Can't touch him. You know, that'll incite the the media to say, well, how can you do that? He's a star in the making. Should have known, should have known that that was your chance to really pounce and get some value out of him. And they didn't. And now it's too late. Because now you are selling a little bit lower. So from 2019, when he largely was a pinch hitter and backup in 2019. And then had a month where he played every day before he got hurt and wasn't really hitting all that well. Look up his splits on July 2019. Those two seasons, he played 139 games, 396 plate appearances, 21 homers, 67 RBIs, 299 batting average, 937 OPS plus, 150 OPS plus. Elite offensive production. Mind you, as a part-time player and in a season where you didn't travel to the West Coast or even much even to the Midwest, you stayed in the... Amtrak corridor, really, with no fans in the stands. So really, he didn't have a chance to go through the league. You know, he didn't have a chance to be on that West Coast trip in August when you're tired as heck. It was a total small sample size, and that's what everybody's pointing to as, well, you got to hold on to get better value. I don't believe he'll ever do that. Why? Because I could give you the two years prior with Dom Smith where he had 105 games, 332 plate appearances, 14 homers, 37 RBIs, 210 batting average, 666 OPS. Okay, Mike, he was young. He was just coming up with the sleep apnea, the weight. He's improved. Yes, he's improved on all that. He's lost weight. He got his sleep apnea under control. Good guy, good teammate. You know, all the things that we can talk about. All the things we can talk about. Okay, what's the middle ground? Hmm, sure looks like 2021. 11 homers, 58 RBIs, 244 batting average, 667 OPS plus. That number 667, 666 coming up a lot. 84 OPS plus. So I see a guy that's probably, and he hits lefties good, pretty well, actually. So there's some value there. He doesn't have, he's not too susceptible to the lefty-righty splits. I think fair, let's be fair to Dom. Let's inch that up a little bit. The guy could hit you 15 to 17 home runs, driving uh, 15 to 17 17 home runs, driving about 70 runs, 
hit about 250 to 260, give you some corner outfield, backup on first base, good defensive, decent defensive first baseman, and uh, good teammate, seems to be happy to be here, and he's got good energy, he's pretty good with the media, and you know they could all talk about their off-the-field social issues with him because he's the go-to because he's an African-American, right? I mean, it's sad to say, but that's what's going to happen. It's not fair Dom, but that's what's going to happen. Because you can talk about it to anybody, anything, if you really want to go that route. That's not a greatly valuable player on a team that needs more. And you were about to get a mid-rotation starter and a useful bullpen arm, and you could flip the, the money. Hosmer was insignificant to the deal. Insignificant to the deal. He was going to be flipped. It was all money. It was like the NBA. And now that you're a team of money, now that you're a team of money, these are the things you can do. You're all up and on. Hosmer's not going to fit the team. He was never going to play for them. He was never going to play for them. You're right. Dom Smith versus Hosmer. I'll keep Dom Smith the same guy. I think Hosmer could hit better. But you don't need him as a DH. You already got J.D. Davis and Cano at that point. So he didn't have a position. And you only need him if Pete Alonso is going to be out extended period of time. And right now, knock on wood, God willingly, he survived the car crash. So he should be okay. But what world do you think you could get more for Dom Smith? He is not, nobody's fooled by 2019 and 2020. You think there's other GMs fooled by it? The only reason this was remotely going to be happening with San Diego was because they wanted to dump money. He's in a deal to dump money. And you guys are acting like he's got value. That's it. He's going to go. Now, all of a sudden, I'm wrong. You know, he's talking about hitting 25 homers, 90 RBIs. I got a 130, 140 OPS plus full-time DH guy who could sub it in the corner and play a little first. Different ball game. And I got control for two and a half years, three years, whatever. Different ball game. I'll have that guy on my team. Hits lefties, is not susceptible lefties. I'll have that guy on my team. And yes, he's got a ton of value. I don't see where that's going to happen. I just don't see it. And if you're basing all your love for Dom over one in social, social incident, there's so much more to him than that. Good, I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. There's nothing, you know, if that's what you are into, fine. I'm into how the Mets can have the best team possible with the best 26 players possible. That other stuff doesn't matter to me. I don't care about that. Really, honestly, you shouldn't either. You should be about baseball here. This is why you're listening to this. So what, what's, you think, you'll never get a better package for Dom Smith. Now, I believe, like I said earlier, that the deal fell apart because of the Hosmer part. They weren't going to sit with that salary and be stuck with him, even though the Padres are pretty much giving you a six, seven million dollar a year ball player. I, I, I just don't understand where all of this comes into play. I mean, people were comparing it to the Cano trade. Nowhere close. Kelnick was a far better asset, who, by the way, still isn't hitting in spring training. I mean, I said to myself, yes, I said, here we go. Not only are we going to have to see Kelnick numbers posted up every day, they're going to have the Dom Smith follow watch. Every home run he hits is going to be another thing. And I kind of wanted, and I, then I started to think after it fell apart, well, good for these guys because Paddock never would have gotten a fair shot here. No matter what he did, they would always be angry at him. Same for Pagan. So maybe it was best for all parties not to do it. And now you have this roster. It'll be interesting because it's, I think it still comes back. 
yeah, they're still looking for pitching, and I, who knows if they can make a deal because you got this you know, right up against the opening day rosters have to be submitted. We're like 48, 72 hours away. So you're pretty much the team is what it is. You're either going to take two lefties and Shreve and Claudio and not Janikowski. You'll take Jan Ka- Janikowski. Jankowski. I'm going to have to get that right. I'm sure people. Travis Jankowski. Jankowski and probably Shreve, who I like. Look, I, I, I'm fine with Shreve or Claudio over I think Pagana is valuable. I'm not saying that they have to sacrifice. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you've got a chance to get them, why not? Low walks, high strikeouts. Close for Tampa. Good enough for Tampa, this smart organization. Not good enough for the Mets. So that's my feeling. What I'm saying is this. I'm not crying over the trade falling apart. I don't have a problem with Dom Smith on the roster. And I hope he hits 25 home runs, and I hope he drives in 90 runs, and I hope I have complete egg on my face. I'll be the first to say, good for him. Because I don't think he's a bad guy. I just don't think he's very good. And I think that the chance to flip him and get value out of him is long gone. And it was for all the wrong reasons. Because you had the wrong person that you brought in that you had to bring in in Sandy Alderson running the show. And you, I think, made some of those decisions for non-baseball reasons. That's it. I'm not getting political here. It has nothing to do with what I believe in all that stuff. It has nothing. It has to do with none of that should factor in to my baseball team. And who is on the field and when you trade them. It should be straight about performance. And now you hear that he doesn't really want to be a backup. Because maybe it's hard for him. It's hard. Some guys are not built to be backups. It's a totally different routine. Some guys need reps to get into the flow. Maybe that was part of his success in 2020. We don't know. We're not in his head. So now you got a guy that needs to play every day that probably will split time. Not probably will. And is looking around saying, well, where can I play full time? And there's nothing he could do. He's got to wait. He's got arbitration, arbitration. He's, He's not going anywhere unless the Mets say he's going anywhere couple of years now he's got so it'll be interesting to see where, how this plays out I mean I don't think he's mad I'm, I'm sure at some point I'm coming to you early here on Sunday I'm sure at some point he's going to say something and you know I'm sure he'll handle it well I'm sure he'll be diplomatic and we never heard him say he wants out we heard through intermediaries and sources but I'm sure if I had a chance to play every day outside of New York and he's a California guy so he's going back home to California he's not from San Diego he's from LA but still going home, closer to home. What's not to like about the deal from Dom Smith's perspective? And he's out of this sauce. He's in a beautiful, low-energy, nice climate environment in San Diego versus here, listening to guys like me. So I don't blame him. Anyway, let's take a quick break. One more segment before we wrap up. I've been lukewarm about the Mets offense. A lot of new faces. Not sure how I'm ready to say they're they're moving in the right direction, but I'm not ready to talk like I did last year. Well, hey, they're five runs a game. Stamp it. Stamp it for approval. I'm not worried about the offense. After last year, there was so many guys that disappointed me. I'm not ready to say that, and I don't know enough about the new guys because I haven't seen them day in and day out. I've seen a little bit out of them in spring training, but that's a very small sample size in a much different environment. Well, I did some high-level fun with numbers. Came across a little golden nugget website. I'm going to tell you how many runs a game the Mets could potentially score and what the best lineup is for this Mets team. 
It involves Dom Smith, too, so I won't lie. We'll talk about that more right after this. Obviously, you got to be able to play up mm-hmm. here. Um, but when you when you talk about Marte and you talk about uh, Escobar and uh, Canna and Max, and those are, those are guys that bring it. They care about being a good teammate. They care about the weights or the weight their words carry, and they it's uh, they understand the the grind of a long season and the things that uh, create a culture. Let's face it, you know, it's like the chicken and the egg. You know, I've never heard of a great culture, and you're getting your brains painted <laughs> to you. You know, and win games. It's, it's like play better. That works real well in New York. Hey, what about this? Play better. I, 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 you know, the ball bounced bad last night. Play better. You know, it is. Nobody's going to – you're not going to sneak up on anybody. The good thing in our division, I don't think anybody's going to run off and hide. Miami's too good with their pitching, and, and it's just everybody. He's got to stay connected to the competition and see what September brings. Play better, and the National League East, even at the bottom, and I agree with Buck in that clip. With the mar- you go into Miami in that sleepy ballpark with that pitching, you could see a lot of three-two games, games where you get really frustrated. With the Marlins are pesky, and the Nats still have Soto. Uh, you know they have some young pitchers that have been on the team. You know Rainey and and guys like that 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 have been around that that may have potential. Who knows? I mean, they got Nelson Cruz, and they got some. They, you're in a Bell. You're in a tight game with the Nats, a walk and a blast, and they're right there where they beat you. And you saw how pesky they were at the end of the year when they were playing for absolute nothing. So we'll see. So I don't think any game is going to be taken for granted. Obviously, there are going to be teams that lose 90, 95, 100 games, which the Nats probably are in that sphere. I'm not so sure about the Marlins. Good pitching tends to, you know, keep you in that 75 win, 80 win totals. Uh, especially, I just think that ballpark is so, it's, it's an advantage because I feel it's like a sleepy ballpark. I've always felt that about Miami. Now, part of the Mets' problem, we talk about pitching all the time in the bullpen, and, and when we do our season preview, we'll get deeper into the entire roster. But the one thing that really hampered them last year was the offense. I mean, they were hanging out in neighborhoods as the worst uh, offensive team in in all of baseball at one point, but they were hanging out with the Pirates at some point in terms of runs per game. And when it was all said and done, they averaged for the year 3.93. Only Texas, Miami, and Pittsburgh were, were worse. Now, they got better in the second half when they got Baez, but even at their best, they were league average, 4.5, 4.6. That was what they averaged in uh, July and September. And then in August, they averaged 3.3, but they faced the Dodgers and the Giants, two really good pitching teams, elite teams, actually the top two pitching teams in the league last year, all of baseball. So I guess you can't really criticize that because they got smothered by those teams, which dragged them down. But even when they were at their best, they were getting shut down by sometimes very mediocre uh, pitchers. And I don't have to go back and revisit history. So now you got Escobar, now you got Kenna, uh, you got Marte, who has this multidimensional type of uh, uh, offensive game with speed, a very rare component in today's game. You're hoping McNeil comes back. Dom Smith is still on the roster. Some of you are way more bullish on him than I was. You just heard the last segment. J.D. Davis, hopefully he's healthy from the hand injury. And you have your mainstays like Pete Alonzo. You got Cano back in the mix. Ken Lindor rebounds. He's talked pretty, he's looked really good this spring. 
And again, that's the sleepy spring in Port St. Lucie. That's easy to... Nobody gives you credit for winning batting titles in the, the Grapefruit League. Is it even called the Grapefruit League anymore? Because everything's changed. I think they just sanitized everything. I mean, I think Robinson Cano, his first year in 2019, hit forced something in the Grapefruit League, and then he struggled the entire first half. How good is this team? How good is this offense? And I was able to unearth, because I was looking for it, because back many, many years ago, and I don't know which site did it, there was this like calculator that you could put in, batting average, on base, slugging, and it would churn out what your best lineups were, what you would average per per game, and you could play all these different scenarios. And I've always looked at it, looked at it, looked at, looked at it, and I could never find it. And then all of a sudden, a few days ago, I'm playing around trying to say, you know, is there a way for me to see how the Mets offense really projects, and how can I do that? And a site called Baseball Musings came up with this lineup analysis uh, Cyril Morong, Ken Aronson, and Ryan Ambrose created this thing. They have a couple of different models. They're pretty much incrementally different that they use. And you basically take on-base uh, percentage and slugging. You type in a player's name. You put the nine players in the starting lineup. And it'll tell you what your best lineup is and how many runs a game that lineup will score. It's something, right? I don't know how the formulas work. I don't care. That's all them. Give those guys credit. Baseball musings. And I Googled it. I don't even know if I could find the uh, website now. Actually, let me give them credit because that's important to me. Giving people credit in an environment where everybody steals stuff shamelessly, which is not right. Giving people credit. So if you bear with me, I'm trying to find the site right here because I think it's important. Okay, lineup analysis. It's baseballmusings.com. And if you go there, you should be able to find the uh, the lineup analysis. I'm sure you know about it. You guys on the list of the show are smart. You probably have used it. Now, what I ran three lineup analysis for the Mets. Three. One with Dom Smith. One with Robinson Cano at the DH. One with J.D. Davis. That was the difference between the three lineup analysis. That was it. Didn't factor into injuries or anything like that. And here I was saying to myself, okay, last year I would take the Mets team 4.5, 4.6, 4.7, maybe a ticket up to 4.8. They'll be in the middle of the pack offensively because they don't deserve anything more. And I look at the top teams. I mean, the top teams in the league that uh, on offense, uh, and let me bring that up here, Houston, Tampa, Toronto. I mean, Toronto to me, when I saw them play at City Field, that was the best offensive team I saw all year. Boston, obviously the Giants and the Dodgers, the Braves with Freddie Freeman, and uh, they were there. So you're talking all the teams that were there at the end competing at a high level or averaging about five runs a game. So that's a bit of a magic number that you need to hit. And the Mets hit that the prior year, and in the second half of 2019, they were one of the best offensive teams. I think they were number two or three in all of baseball. So they've lived in that neighborhood before. But with their pitching, I was like, look, they have that 1-1A, and one A, and they don't have to score five, five and a half runs a game, like, like uh, or nearly five and a half runs a game like the Astros, to win. I mean, they've got a different brand of team than these other guys do. But if they do, it'd be really nice, and I think it would put them in a real good position. Now, with the injury to DeGrom, Knowing you're going to have to probably maintain, you know, I think we underestimated the maintenance that two thirty-something pitchers at the top of the rotation, as elite as they are, are going to need. With bullpen uncertainty, I still believe uh, bullpens are so volatile, regardless of best case scenario. 
And then back into the rotation, guys like Carrasco and maybe McGill and even Taiwan Walker to a certain degree who are going to need games where you got to score some runs. You can't win two to one with those guys all the time. These are six-inning, three-run guys, maybe seven, six and a change, and four runs. I mean, these are guys that you may need to score six runs that night to win. And that's okay because every team needs that. So can the Mets do that? Well, much to my surprise, and all I did is take their average season. The only guy I didn't take their average season of on-base and slugging was Cano because that's going to be inflated a little bit. So I took his 2019 season, which you guys didn't like at all, and said, not his pandemic season, which was good. Not his average, which is he's in a Hall of Fame class, whether you like the steroid conversation or not. And I put him in. So I did average everybody's average numbers for their career. So these are average numbers, which you would reasonably expect, except for Cano. And I ran three lineups. Dom is the DH. Cano is the DH. J.D. Davis is the DH. Guess what? High to low. Let me see. Low to high. Mets, according to baseball musings, are going to average between 5.2 to 5.4 runs per game if everybody just hits their average season. Think about that. That's very bullish. Now, I have no idea how this algorithm works. None. And do I trust it? I don't know. I mean, you want to do a variance? You want to take you know two-tenths, three-tenths of a run off? Obviously, with the DH now, no pitcher. I mean, we had this conversation for those pro pitcher hitting guys that it's like throughout the season, you got like three weeks of just the pitcher hitting when you add all their bats together, which is absurd. So off the bat, you could argue that that 4.5, 4.6 is going to tick up to five because they usually say it's about a half a run difference between the AL and the NL. I know that that's been shrunk a little bit over the years. Uh, it seems that, you know, the gap with the DH versus pitcher is not as grand. It just feels that way. I don't have data to support that. So maybe they were going to go, because if you take the Mets team from September, that average 4.6, they're probably going to be around the 5 mark. But you don't know. You don't know what your DHs are going to produce. They're certainly not going to produce what the pitchers did. So off the bat, there's more production. But this is very bullish and positive. So even if they're in the ballpark, 80%, 85% of the way there, you're still looking at a team that could average five runs per game. And with this pitching staff, especially if the two big guys are healthy, that is gold. Now, what I said 5.2 to 5.4 run uh, runs per game. What is the Mets' best lineup? So the Mets' best lineup that will average 5.417. We'll get all into the derivatives here. You know, ten hundred thousandth of a decimal point of runs. What is the Mets' best lineup? I'm going to tell you right now. It's Brandon Nimmo, and I'll tell you what. Brandon Nimmo leading off is at every best lineup. Jeff McNeil second. J.D. Davis batting in the third slot at DH. Not Dom Smith, not Cano. J.D. Davis. Pete Alonso cleanup. Marte fifth. Escobar sixth. Lindor seventh. McCann eighth. Mark Canna ninth. Everything consistently, for the most part, puts Canna in the nine hole. So it's almost like the double leadoff guy because of his on-base percentage. What's the Mets' worst lineup out of the best? So if you look at the best scenarios, you know, 5.2 on average, uh, you know, really it comes down to Cano being in the lineup puts them 5.0. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Cano five, uh, yeah, Cano in the lineup is probably the worst. 
So here's how you rank your DH options. J.D., Dom, Cano. So if you get Cano from 2019, an average Dom and an average J.D. season is better for what it's worth. That's just numbers. And Dom's average season fluctuates. I didn't put his 2021 season in there. I put his average season, which is obviously a 300 really good plate appearances in his career, 300 really bad plate appearances career. He falls somewhere in the middle. Cano wasn't great in 2019. He had a good second half. So that's your best lineup. But every lineup analysis puts Nimmo in the, in the leadoff spot. There's a couple of them that throw McNeil. I mean, they run, there's like 50 versions. It's funny because then they have like, what's the worst? What's the worst scoring? Like 4.9. And like those lineups that average less than five runs per game put like McCann in the leadoff spot. Dom batting second, Alonzo batting ninth. Like, there's some crazy, like you see this, there's some crazy stuff on this. Real crazy stuff. But it's just straight numbers. And it's running all these different... The algorithm runs just different things based on all these different spots in the lineup. I, I mean, this obviously that old... How many possible outcomes are there with nine guys, these nine guys, and what have you. So, in a show that we talked about the need to move on from Jacob DeGrand and play better, and that is the theme of the show, play better. Just got to play better. Can't get stuck on the woe is me, the cloud, ah, Jagram. The whole Dom Smith stupidity where a couple of useful pieces. Everybody's going to wait for the better offer. I don't think the better offer, that is the best you're going to get for Dom Smith. You're stuck with him now, in my opinion. You could probably throw him into another trade, but I don't think he's headlining anything. And I think when you see the ultimate results, I just ran you an algorithm that says J.D. Davis is a better option. I think J.D. Davis is going to be a really good hitter. if he get If he's healthy... Like the old adage, I, I'm violating my own credo, and they give him some everyday at-bats, which now you could do because the whole third base thing is shaky. Forget about the... I mean, you could play. give him credit for playing the outfield. He's really a man who needs to be a DH. He really is. All that negativity, and the most positive thing is the Mets could score some runs. And if they could average 5.2, 5.3, 5.4 runs per game, I feel a lot better than navigating the scherzer Degrom downtime. We always knew, I, I figured there would be, you, you push them a start, one injured, I, I had them penciled in for one injured list, not because they were debilitating injuries like what Cap, I didn't, I didn't want to see a serious injury like DeGrom, but I figured they'd want to relax them based on maybe some general soreness or warning signs that maybe they're fatigued, just to be careful. I penciled them in for that. I didn't think 60, I mean, you was trying to figure, you know, 28 starts, each, maybe 30 more. I, I put Scherzer more, 30. So maybe 50, 55. 55 was probably more realistic I looked at. Now you're looking at probably, let's say you get 15 out of DeGrom, 25, maybe 40, 45 starts out of the two. So you got 15 starts out of McGill and Peterson and could have been Paddock is some of that, but not now. So that's where you're at. So not everything is bad. Not everything is negative. You don't have to be angry at me the entire show. I gave you some good news there. And I gave you the best Mets lineup. And it's all the consistency. Nimmo in the, clean, the leadoff spot, Canna in the nine hole. There's all little in-betweens there and what have you. I don't need to get into that. You guys heard the best lineup. You know what the best lineup is. Maybe uh, Buck Schultz is listening. Who knows? 
You never know. By the way, one thing before I, I head into the, the, the wrapping up here and take a break. One thing I, I was thinking about as we're talking about that deal with uh, uh, Hosmer, I'm hoping because Steve Cohen is on Twitter, and I think he's very sensitive to what the fans are saying, and I don't think Twitter is a good representation of reality. I know Twitter is not a good representation of the average fan of reality. It's much more fringy, much more unique in their background and beliefs and how they look at sports from many different lenses, which is not something we could get into now. Not, not, no time for that. I hope he didn't kibosh the deal because of that. And it was kibosh because either A, they couldn't flip Hosmer, which I believe is most likely case, or B, because they just weren't comfortable with the two guys they were getting back. But it sounds like unless they, it was already kiboshed and, and the whole, it came, it was leaked out. And you never know who, whether it be the Padres or whatever we're using the media to kind of rekindle talks. I mean, the media is a weapon in negotiations. We all know that for agents particularly. But I hope Steve Cohen's not allowing the fans, especially the Twitter fans, to dictate team moves. Because if you do that, you'll go down the pisser real quick. You'll go down the rabbit hole real quick and you'll find, believe me, you run your team like Twitter and the media wants, you'll find yourself out of the postseason. You'll probably find yourself losing 90 games every year. And then they'll point the finger at you, but you'll listen to them. So anyway, let's take a quick break and wrap up your listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Mets history is a big part of the Talking Mets podcast. Do you want to know when the decline of the 1980s Mets started? Picture day. Bob Clappish of the record joined me on the show to reminisce how the most innocent of activities shed light on how bad things had become around the 80s Mets. You know, Keith was was his best years at that point were behind him, and Daryl had become had become the star of the team. Um, and I think Keith resented that, and I think Daryl resented Keith's trying to continue to try to you know uh, wield that influence. There was great tension between those two, and if you remember, that culminated in that fight on Photo Day in spring training in 1989 when both players start throwing punches at each other in full view of the New York press and, and, and New York press cameras, TV stations were there for photo day, which used to be a big thing. You covered live. And those two went at it. Were, they're just beating the shit out of each other on TV, live TV. It was a, it was Jay Horowitz's nightmare. So yeah, there was a great deal of tension because the passing of the baton was not smooth. And you also have to remember that, that, that this great golden era at Shea never happened. Uh, you know, 86 had come and gone, and uh, that was it. There were no more championships. 88 was a tremendous disappointment because that was a really good team, and nothing came of it. The lose to the Dodgers, a team they, they should have beaten. They should have, they dominated all, all year, and they suddenly lose to them. And that's really when it, the team sort of went over the cliff and that the decline began, began in 89 in earnest. Keith and, and Carter both were suddenly old men. And they just lost their way. And by 92, you know, they really had for all the money they, that Frank Cashin and Al Harrison had spent to, to sort of recreate the image of the 86 Mets. I mean, that was all sunk costs, bad decisions all around. And suddenly this great, lovable team became this horrible club. And hence the, the book that uh, Harper and I co-wrote, The Worst Team Money Could Buy. 92 was an, was an abysmal failure. Listen to this and more at www com.
All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, spicy show here. Hope you enjoyed it. A lot to talk about. It was really funny what I planned on talking about. The lineup analysis was going to be a big part of the show as I planned the week. Had no idea I'd be talking about DeGrom and a trade and all that other stuff. I was worried. I was like, oh, I'm not really. I was looking at some guests and then thinking about it and saying, you know, I'm not going to go into the Shreve and Claudio thing again because we've talked about that. And... I was like, well, we could do go into the lineup thing and, and, and the bullpen, and we haven't even talked about the bullpen, which I'm still a little worried about how, especially now with the season, with the, the early season post-lockout, the pitcher's still building up. You're not going to get more than four or five innings from these guys, so you're going to be looking at uh, sometimes 12 to 15 outs from the bullpen, and that's a lot of Miguel Castro. You know, I like Shreve, but who knows? Maybe Sean Reed Foley, Trevor Williams uh, bridging the gap as a piggyback. Who knows, depending on how they shake out the 28-man roster for the first month. Who knows how that plays out. And that's a lot of diciness in the 6th and 7th inning before you get to Lugo and Diaz and May, who are your mainstays. And because you're going to be going to the bullpen every night, you're not really going to be able to use the same guys late. So there are going to be games where you're going to be getting high leverage outs, the last six outs, high leverage, not from Lugo, not from Diaz, from somebody else. Maybe from a Castro. Maybe from a Shreve. Maybe from a Reed Foley. You don't know. From Adovino. Guys like that. So it'll be interesting. We'll talk more about that. The plan is to come back to you before opening day. So yes, we're a Sunday recap show. We continue to do Sundays. The plan is to come back. I'd like to get somebody on who's been down in Port St. Lucie, get a vibe and a feel. We've heard a lot. Uh, clearly, Buck is in control. He's bringing a lot of good components about attention to detail and mindset to the group. We know what they are in terms of on the field, but you know I'm working on that. And the goal would be to come back to you within 48 hours or so with our official Talking Mets season preview. At that point, I'll tell you where I feel they'll stand. I think you kind of have an idea I think they're definitely a team that's in the mix for the playoffs. I will I'll tell you this off the bat. I'm not picking them to win the division. That's not happening. And, and that doesn't mean I don't believe they can, but I don't believe uh, I'm not here to pick. I have to be fair and honest with my assessment of where they are. And the journey's beginning. I mean, the journey has begun, and we already had our first Thunderbolt. You know how we, we use those old winner within Pat Riley terms on the show. Our first Thunderbolt, major Thunderbolt, a Thunderbolt that we're used to now. And as I always say, the more times you push through Thunderbolts, especially one as big as DeGrom, and to a certain degree, I don't think Scherzer, that's, a, that's kind of a mini hiccup, uh, as he used the term. Uh, the more times you push through Thunderbolts and succeed, you become immune to it. You don't worry about it as much. And with this DeGrom thing, the theme was play better. That's the theme of the show. Buck Showalter just says play better. Just got to play better. Got to play through it. Can't be kvetching about DeGrom. We can't sit here and wait, holding our breath for the next MRI in 30 days. Have to play better. So stay tuned. There'll be another show before opening day, and then it's all systems go. The games begin, and we go into our assessing the team. We'll do our features. There's always something to talk about. Like I said going into today's show, I didn't have any plans on talking about a major injury or a major trade. and Both those things in the last 48 hours came down, changed the whole dynamic of the show. So you cannot predict what we're going to bring every week. We, we, uh, we Sometimes you have to have special edition middle-of-the-week shorts to address things. Just continue to go to TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, and subscribe. And we'll have tons of fun as we head into and enjoy together the 2022 Mets season. 
All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. You can check me out, as I said, all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to thank the good folks over at the Fansided Podcasting Network and ArisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast before opening day. Till then, take care, everybody. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.